Welcome to the Purse Podcast. My name is Jana Hristova, and we are changing the conversation for women about money and investing. I'm super excited about my guest today, Kathy Curtis. Kathy is the founder and CEO of Curtis Financial Planning, a full-service financial planning firm based in the San Francisco Bay Area, serving clients in the U.S. Kathy's mission is to be a fiduciary financial partner for independent women so they can feel confident about their finances whilst pursuing what they love and do best. As a certified financial planner and member of CNBC's Financial Advisor Council, Kathy is a frequently sought-after author and contributor. For more than a decade, she's shared her unique financial planning insights via her award-winning blog of independent means and widely followed Twitter feed at Kathy Curtis. In 2020, Kathy launched the Financial Finesse podcast to showcase successful, interesting women and provide actionable advice for her listeners. For the last five years, Kathy has been named an Investopedia 100 Top Financial Advisors. Investment News also recognized Kathy as one of its 2020 women to watch for her contributions to the profession and financial literacy. In this podcast interview, we talk about financial advice for women. We talk about common money mistakes, what's changed in how women manage and invest their money as a result of the pandemic, why women are the driving force behind ESG investing, crypto, investing in female-led startups, and we also talk about the superstar Wall Street investor, Kathy Wood. To finish up, Kathy shares advice for women who want to engage much more around their money and investing. I hope you enjoyed the podcast interview as much as I did. Please note that this podcast interview is for informational purposes only. We do not provide investment advice. Kathy, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on today. Thank you. I am excited to be here. Now we're talking about a lot of very important topics to do with women and money, of course. But before we do that, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and specifically your journey to where you are today? And I'm interested to know why did you decide to focus on women when it comes to financial advice? So I had a long career in a completely different industry before I decided that I wanted to pursue being a financial advisor. And while I was working, my passion and hobby was investing in personal finance. From when I was very young, I was interested in the stock market, following stocks, learning everything I could about how to be better with my finances. And what I was doing for a living wasn't exciting me that much. I was selling products for companies. I wasn't really helping people. So I decided to pursue a career in something that I absolutely loved and that also could help people. And that's why I decided to become a financial advisor. Now, the women's pieces, I started my firm. I started it from scratch and I didn't have industry experience. So it was a little bit slow going in the beginning. And I was struggling to find which clients I wanted to work with, et cetera. And I took a series of branding and marketing courses and decided during that time that who I really wanted to work with was women. 
I had built my own finances up successfully and I'm a very, very independent person. And I thought I could bring that skill set in my experiences to help other women do better with their own finances. And since I decided to focus on women clients, my business took off. It's been a great journey. When do female clients usually reach out to you? So is it, for example, when there's a major life event like a divorce? And what's the average age of your female clients? Sure. So I call it a trigger. There's always a trigger that leads someone to contacting a financial advisor. And in my case, a woman contacting me for financial advice. Usually it's because they're thinking about the future and realizing that they don't have their financial house in order. Their money's invested, but they have no idea how. They're not sure if they're saving enough for their retirement years. They don't know if they're taking advantage of all tax saving opportunities. And so it's kind of like a light bulb goes on that I need to start working on this to make sure I'm okay for the future. And the general age is, I'd say, 45 to 55 average. And I do get women younger than that, but I'm using the average. Another reason that's common that women contact me is they've inherited a lot of money. And it's the first time that they've had to manage so much money and they want an advisor to help them. Do you talk to younger clients at all, women in their 20s or 30s? Yes, I do. Generally, women in their 20s frankly, cannot afford my fees because I've been in business a long time. I have a very healthy business. I have as many clients as I want. And so generally when that happens with an advisor, they raise their fees or their minimums become too high for younger people. That's not to say I don't work with any. I do save a few slots for younger people. So I work with, I think, four young couples right now in their 20s, and I charge them in a different manner than I do the rest of my clients. The other younger people that come to me, they find my website and they want to work with a female-focused advisor. I have a few fellow advisors that I know very well and trust, and I refer to them because those advisors may have an hourly fee model or they'll do a one-time plan for a fee, whereas all of my clients are ongoing year after year. And they pay a little different way. Okay. What are your clients most worried about right now? We know there's a lot going on in the market, whether we think about inflation, potentially the rising of interest rates. What are they coming to you about? I live in the San Francisco Bay Area, which you may or may not know, tends to be a little bit more liberal than the rest of the country politically. And a lot of my clients are worried about the current political situation how polarized it is, and they want to know what does that mean for their investments. I have that conversation often. They, Because the market's been doing so well and our country is not really at peace right now, they don't understand why the market's going up so much. So I have a lot of conversations like that. Like, why is everything I'm hearing in the news negative and the stock market keeps going up? Mm -hmm. So there's that fear there. And what I try and explain is that the Fed policies, for example, are very accommodative right now because they want to keep the economy strong as it's still growing out of the COVID recession. 
And so interest rates are low. People can't make a return anywhere but in stocks. So a lot of money keeps flowing to stocks. So I try and explain it as simply as I can, that the reasons why the stock market is still going up and kind of assuage their fears about that. It, that it's never an easy task, but I work with my clients ongoing. And so we have these conversations often. So I think they feel pretty good about it. What would you say are some of the most common money mistakes you hear about from women or what is it that they need advice and support with the most? I'd say the most common money mistakes are not saving enough early enough. So they put off maxing out their retirement accounts, for example, because over time, compounding interest makes a big difference in growing your savings for the future. And if you don't start early, you're going to pay catch up later. So the women in their 20s, 30s that contact me are very, very smart. They're thinking ahead. And if they can get the right financial advice and then start investing earlier, they're going to be a lot better off when they reach that 45 to 55 year age and don't have to have that feeling that they're behind. So I'd say that's probably the biggest mistake that many people make is starting to focus on savings too late. You mentioned that a lot of your clients come to you when they've inherited money. How many of your clients want you to take over that responsibility and hand that over because they feel they don't have sufficient education or experience in managing their money? Inheriting a large amount of money is pretty scary for most people. So I work mostly with women, so I can't really speak personally to the differences between a man who inherits money and a woman who inherits money. But I do know that many of the women that come to me and have inherited money may know the basics about investing, but there's a lot of emotion around inheriting money. It's usually from a parent and they don't want to blow it. Usually their parents work long and hard to accumulate the assets and they feel like they're not really sure what the best way to invest it is. And so that's a huge motivator to hire somebody like me to help them. Yeah. You want to pay for good advice because not getting good advice is expensive. Yeah. Expensive and it can be very emotionally draining. You have to worry about that day after day. That's not good for a person either. Most people, the word money is one of the biggest worries of most people. And also it's a factor in a lot of marriages breaking up. So, you know, if you can get your money life under control, you're going to be a lot better off in so many ways. Now, what's changed, if anything, as a result of the pandemic with regards to women and their money habits and their finances? What, in your view, are women doing better or worse or the same as a result of the pandemic? Well, for one, and this is pretty universal, so many people didn't spend the money they used to spend during the pandemic. They weren't going out to eat. They weren't buying clothes. They weren't traveling. They weren't doing so many of the things that they used to do. And so I have a lot of women say, I cannot believe how much money I have in my bank account. So in the savings rate in the U.S. has gone up a lot because of the pandemic. And I see people being happy with their new spending habits. You know, they can save. So I'm hoping that that will continue, that people 
won't go back to spending the way they were and be much more conscious about where their money's going. I'm thinking that's probably true because it makes people feel good to know that they've got a growing amount in their bank accounts instead of draining them and worrying about when the next paycheck's going to come in. Yeah. So it, it forced some discipline. I don't know if that discipline would have happened if it wasn't for the pandemic. And I think we've also seen quite a few stats about the fact that women have actually started investing a lot more via these online investment platforms and mobile apps. And I think that trend is probably a little bit more obvious for younger women. Yes, that's a really good point. The younger women that I talk to usually have a Robinhood account or a Wealthfront account, or they started tiptoeing into crypto or even NFTs, whereas my older clients don't have those kind of accounts and they never ask me about crypto. So I agree with you that the younger generation of women are probably investing a lot earlier than the older generations in doing it on their own. Yeah, which is fantastic news. It is fantastic. That's one of the good things about those robo platforms is I think they got more women interested in investing. Now, I'd love it if you could talk us through how a financial advisor like you can help, Kathy. Why do you need a financial plan? And what's the process you go through to put one together for a female client? Sure. I really believe that everybody needs a financial plan. I don't care who you are. If you don't plan for things in your life, you're just leaving everything up to chance. So what a plan does, it forces you to focus first off on your current financial situation. So the first step is you look at everything that you have now, and then you start making estimates and assumptions about what's going to happen in the future. And some of those estimates and assumptions are how much money you're going to make and at what increase per year, what rates of return you're going to earn on your investments, how much are you going to be able to save, how much Social Security are you going to get, when are you going to retire? There's so many factors that go into it. How I build the plan is the first step, I send all my clients a very detailed online questionnaire. I also ask for a whole bunch of documents, their account statements, their health policies, their insurance policies, because I look at all aspects of their finances, not just investments by any means. I look at whether they're insured properly, are they taking advantage of all their employee benefits if they have them? What kind of estate planning have they done? That's part of the CFP curriculum, the Certified Financial Planner curriculum, and I am a Certified Financial Planner. We know how to analyze all those different areas of a person's life, and then we make recommendations to improve on it. So the first meeting I'll have with the client, I call my first draft plan meeting, and we'll look at the plan together. I'll show them how their money's flowing through the years. I will show them what they can do to make it better, things like that. And then in my case, those clients are with me for the long term. So we review that plan at least annually to make sure they're on track. Other advisors who do more one-time planning will remind a client to come back in the following year or in two years to review the plan so that this client will always know if they're tracking to where they want to be financially. For women who may not have as much money, what's a really good way for them to engage and essentially be able to access a, a similar plan 
where they don't maybe have to pay a higher fee for a financial advisor? Well, I look back to when I was young and I certainly couldn't afford a financial advisor, but I started to read everything I could about personal finance. You could self-educate. The problem is a lot of women are interested, and I'm generalizing there, but I'll say a lot of people aren't that interested in spending their free time reading about personal finance, right? That's one of the problems. That's one of the roadblocks is it doesn't interest a lot of people. But just like with the investment apps that we were talking about earlier, there are apps online where you could go and put in your numbers for a retirement projection, let's say. You could say, this is how much I'm making. This is how much I'm saving. This is how much I'm going to need. And it'll, it'll tell you how much you need to save to reach a retirement goal. So I would say for younger people who can't afford an advisor, take advantage of all the fintech and everything else going on online where you could do it yourself for a cheaper cost. And then as you grow more wealthy, you may be able to hire an advisor to help. And I suspect in the US and, and certainly in the UK, the government offers a lot of free advice and a website with free online tools. I use a lot of online calculators and even what I do. There's so much out there. There really yes. is. There is one resource that I think is in the UK too. That's Morningstar. Yes. Morningstar.com. That website is so great for not only investment research, but they really focus on financial planning, this basic personal finance. Christine Benz writes about financial planning topics a lot. They have a lot of great research on women and investing and women in retirement. I would tell any young person to go on Morningstar.com. You can get a subscription for really cheap, like $150 a year. Mm -hmm. And keep up on the articles. They're very current. They keep up on all kinds of new topics on all financial planning disciplines. And they also have a really nice investment focus and make it easy to understand. And if you can find a community, if you can find a group of women who want to go on this journey and become a lot more financially aware and engage around their money and investing, I think that can make it easier as well. I agree. But, you know, and the statistics show that money is one of the most taboo topics still out there. I know. People don't share their salaries. They don't share how much they have saved. There's a lot of shame and comparison and all that. And I think in particular for women, if they would be more open about talking about their finances with other women, mm -hmm. everyone would be a lot better off. I mean, there's such a thing called money circles you know, you'll have a facilitator and groups of women get together and talk about their money. Mm -hmm. I think for women, those would be great ways to go to get more confident financially. Money brings up so many negative beliefs and, and, and emotions and people can feel quite isolated. And if we have a trusted group of friends or colleagues that we can share the experience with, it just makes it much more effective and you're more likely to stick with it because you know we all have a money personality from somewhere it's usually what were our parents like with money mm. was there scarcity growing up was there too much growing up and we all get these ideas in our head about money that are hard to change they may not be serving you well it's almost like money therapy i mean talking it through other people can identify, well, that doesn't make any sense that you believe that. That's not your reality. 
But unless you bring it out into the open and talk about it, you'll never know. Now, in the case of a financial advisor, if I come across a client who has a really hard time spending money, just for example, probably because of the money scripts they have in their head that they learned growing up, but they want to spend more money, they just have a hard time doing it, I will help counsel them through that and show them that's what a financial plan is great for. You can see if you keep doing what you're doing, you have positive cash flow of let's say 20,000 a year, you can afford to spend a little bit of that. But you have to you have to be able to show them mm. and convince them and show them the numbers for a person like that, that they can actually spend more. And conversely, a spendthrift, someone that spends too much, you can show them if they continue that behavior, they're gonna run out of money at a certain age. And you could show it graphically and visually, it's very powerful. That's very true. And, and I think so much anxiety and uncertainty around money is the not knowing. People spend too long in that uncertainty. Meanwhile, time moves on. And, and before you know it, you're hitting retirement age and potentially not got a handle on your money as, as well as you'd like. So it's a really important message, isn't it? As soon as you can, yes. think about what will be the most effective way for you to start paying attention and to get clarity on your money situation and who can help you do that. Exactly, and as early as possible. I'm thinking about my niece right now. I have a niece who's in her late 20s and she and her boyfriend just bought a house together. And I was so impressed. First off, she came to me to ask me for my advice because it was very scary for her. Her boyfriend's more sophisticated financially than she is. But she wanted to go into it knowing just as much as he did. I was really proud of her. And so we did a whole little mini financial plan for her. And now she's excited about her personal finances. But starting be starting that early, I have no doubt she's going to do very, very well. Yeah. So people start earning salaries in their early 20s. And so why not focus on the future? There's no reason not to. And that compounding interest, you know, the more you save early, the faster it's going to grow is such a powerful calculation. I'm not sure so many people are aware of. I certainly think that we should be talking about it a lot more. And again, it's probably the fact that we don't have this education at school. I'm trying to think back to my schooling and, and university. I was very aware of the concept, but I don't think that anyone ever demonstrated just how powerful compound interest is. Yes. And, you know, let's face it. I mean, countries have some safety nets, like we have social security here. I'm sure you have a national plan as well, but it only covers a fraction of somebody's needs, income needs in retirement. It's not enough. And private companies don't have pensions anymore. That is not something that anybody has anymore unless they got them and they're in their 70s and 80s. Young people don't have pensions from private companies. So we have to save for our retirement or else you're going to live in a lot lower level in retirement than you are now. And who wants to do that? And we know that a high proportion of women do fall into poverty when they yes. retirement because they simply don't have enough in their pension or their retirement fund. And that is a real problem. And it's a very difficult one. It is. And another reason why women need to be thinking about money a lot sooner and certainly investing. Yes. And, you know, there's a lot of other statistics regarding women that can hurt them financially. Like after divorce, 
a lot of women don't do as well financially as the men. And we all know that women go in and out of the workforce to take care of kids and elders more than men do. Just female behavior patterns tend to hurt them. Mm. And unfortunately, our governments don't value that kind of work as much as work out in the workplace. And so women end up earning less over their lifetime. And that hurts too. So all of this points to the earlier women start paying attention to their money, the better. Yeah. Kathy, what would you say then to a woman in her mid to late 40s who potentially hasn't been thinking about her money, or maybe she's gone through a difficult divorce and there isn't a lot of money left over and and she essentially needs to put her financial plan together? What do you advise in that instance? Well, fortunately, at 40 or 45, there's still time. I mean, most people work till 65. And some of us will work longer because we're living longer and we're healthier longer. So, you know, that's a 20-year time frame to make up for what you didn't do in the past. So I think a woman that starts at 40, 45 has a pretty good chance of turning around their finances. Where it becomes problematical is when people wait till they're like 60. Mm-hmm. And they have five years left before they're going to stop working and they haven't saved enough. That's a little bit scary because then you're facing your employment income loss. If you haven't saved a lot, you're going to spend down your savings fairly quickly. And then you're going to rely on Social Security, which, like I said, isn't covering all your expenses. So that's where it's really problematical. Yeah. But I really believe, though, just this is a positive note, someone in their 40s can make up for lost time. They may have to invest a little more aggressively than they're comfortable with. That's one of the issues that a person that starts late has to get comfortable with. You may not be able to be as conservative in your investing as you would like. So that's one of the things I'll do. I'll show somebody that if your risk tolerance is super low and you can only withstand a portfolio with a little bit of stocks in it, you're probably not going to make it. So I have to convince them that they need to invest a little more aggressively. And I think it's one of the reasons we're seeing Gen Z invest in crypto. The reality is it's a lot more difficult for them to get onto the property ladder. They're going to have to be taking more risks to generate the income they need. That's a really good point. The cost of buying a home everywhere now is so sky high that a lot of young people that would like to do that, they're not able to. It's really true. I have that conversation a lot about affordability. Yeah. I'm sure it's like that in the UK too. Absolutely. Yeah, we've seen that. It's jumped a great deal. A lot of people who've saved money during the pandemic, uh, shifting money away from low return assets into property, into the stock market, et cetera, which in turn is driving up prices. Yes. And also... The fact that interest rates are so low is forcing people into equities, too, because they want to get a return. You can't get hardly any return on bonds right now. That's right. I'd like to talk about ESG investing, impact investing, because we know based on research that women are the driving force of impact ESG investing. And you recently wrote about this in your op-ed on CNBC, which is fantastic. I really enjoyed that. Can you talk us through why this is the case. I am so excited about the fact that women are interested in ESG investing. I'd say that 
the majority of new prospective clients I talk to, they want to be invested that way. Mm-hmm. And then the others, when they hear about it, they say, oh, yeah, that sounds good to me. I don't really understand it. So there's still a lot of education that needs to be done about that kind of investing. But the reason why women are interested, well, I see that women, especially where I am, care deeply about the environment, about how people are treated in the workforce, about racial diversity, about the health of the planet in general. Maybe it's because women bear and raise the children and are focused on their children's future. But I see that all as a good thing. And the fact of the matter is companies that focus on those kind of best practices, why wouldn't they do better in the end, especially with over longer periods of time? So it's a great story to talk to women about if they want to be invested that way, that they're going to do good with their money. They don't have to hold their nose and put their money into companies who sell products that they don't like or have operational practices that aren't good for the environment. They can actually put their money and be a force for good and maybe a force for change, which is really powerful. It is super powerful. And I think it allows women to change the conversation for themselves around money and investing so that it's not just about chasing alpha. Of course, we all want a good return. We all want great performance of our assets. But I think knowing that the money that you're putting to work is also making the world a better place is incredibly encouraging and powerful for women. It really is. In my experience, there's a few different types of ESG investors. So there's one type that knows nothing about it. And they say, I just care about return. Very few women are like that. Then there's a type that are really interested in it, but they've bought into that myth that you can't get the returns you can with ESG investing as you can in traditional. And so they need more education. That's the other type. Then the third type is one that says, Kathy, I only want to be ESG. Do not put me in any traditional investments. These are the issues I care about, and I want to focus on that. So. Those are the three types. I do both traditional and ESG investing, but when I build my model portfolios that are mixed traditional, if the ESG investment is a better choice for a certain asset class, I'll always choose the ESG. And I'm moving more and more towards all ESG because they do perform well. And there's a lot more options now. There's a lot more exchange traded funds It used to be, it was mostly mutual funds in the ESG space, which tend to have a little higher fee structure. They're not as liquid, but now there's ETFs and there's also ways to build. um, And I think there will be more ways to build stock portfolios of ESG stocks, making it easier for advisors to do that electronically. Yeah. So I see only a bright future for being able to fully invest people in ESG manner. And I'm so happy about that. Yeah. So am I, Kathy. And I think we're going to move to a place where investing is ESG investing. Yeah. We very much move away from anything that isn't. Yes. And this second type of investor I'm talking about, the one that loves the idea of ESG, but it's afraid they won't get the returns. 
when I show them graphically the returns of an ESG portfolio versus traditional, and they see either how close they are or how much better ESG is done, because during the pandemic, ESG did better. They are so excited. So that myth is being dispelled. It's really not true. And they love to see that. It just makes them feel good in so many ways. It's great that the narrative is shifting. And that means that more and more people are piling in and especially women. And I think the younger generation, the millennials, definitely, that are all for ESG. And there's no question in their minds about where they want their money to go. It's just an obvious yes. I want to invest my money into companies that are making the world a better place. That's true. I'd like to talk about crypto. And I'm really interested to what extent your female clients are talking to you about crypto. Are they asking you about Bitcoin and Ethereum? What are those conversations? If you are having those conversations, what are they like? So keeping in mind that my clientele trends a little bit older, mm -hmm. I do not have a lot of conversations about crypto. I can say I have had only one new client come in who owns some Grayscale ETF yeah. and some Coinbase. That's all, believe it or not. And another prospective client just asked me about our NFTs. So, so far, it's just kind of trickling in for me. Mm -hmm. But I think that corresponds to what you're saying about the younger generations are more interested in crypto and are opening their own Coinbase accounts and other ways of investing in it. I get asked my opinion occasionally about it. I really say that I'm not ready to invest them in crypto. I don't know if it's gonna add any value to the portfolios or not. So I'm holding out until there's more ways to invest in it. And I know there's a new ETF now. I personally dip my toes in it because I like to try things out before I would ever even consider investing my clients in it. That's kind of where I am. I would say that the independent advisor community in the U.S. probably takes a similar stance to me, although there's a lot of education going on right now about advisors and crypto and how they can help their clients get into it. That's a big topic in our industry right now. Mm -hmm. So I think things will evolve and change quickly over time in that area. I'm sure you're right. I absolutely agree. It tends to be this younger generation, the digital first generation that invest in crypto. Again, they're very familiar with technology, digital, you have no qualms about opening an online account on Coinbase or Kraken or whichever one of the crypto exchanges. But what's exciting is that we're seeing so many institutions start to invest in Bitcoin and Ethereum specifically. And of course, the Bitcoin futures ETF that was launched, I think, was it last month in the US? Yes. That was a very exciting step forward in the industry. So we'll see how things evolve there. You know, there's ways to invest in it too. Like some stocks now are buying crypto, like Square owns a lot of crypto and other stocks. So we'll see. I keep my eye on it. I definitely don't ignore the space. You've got sort of Bitcoin miners. You can invest in those. It's interesting to see that they're actually hanging on to their Bitcoin. So if you buy shares of those companies, then essentially you're in very much in crypto. The one issue that I don't like about crypto is there's been a lot of people who have made a ton of money on crypto. And I think young people see that. They'll see the millionaire next door that was smart enough to get into it really early. And now they don't work and they travel around the world. And 
that's not probably going to happen to everybody. No. And it's still a very volatile asset class. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, it could be a good learning experience for a young person to see that some asset classes don't just go up all the time and that they could have pretty violent swings because that's really what it is to invest in things that are aggressive and volatile and have a lot of risk in them. I think you learn the most when you apply yourself. And I've always said on the podcast, if you're new to investing, and certainly if you're new to crypto investing, why not start small and invest, even if it's 10 pounds, you can buy basically 10 pounds worth of Bitcoin or ETH on one of the crypto exchanges. And you learn so much through that process. Yes. And then as you learn more, you're engaged more, you can put a little bit more money in, but only put as much money as you're prepared to lose, of course. But we know that Bitcoin and Ethereum, they are the blue chips of crypto. And, and yes, we're seeing the sort of the volatility, but as time goes on, that volatility will subside as, as more institutional money piles in. I would say even applying that same strategy for a young person to investing in the stock market, like investing in a stock index or something and watching it and learn from that, learn about the trends. And, it, you know, you'll see it go up and down a lot during the year and get used to that idea that stocks don't only go up or go down. It's a great way to get educated by dipping your toes in. And crypto is a perfect example of that. Absolutely. It makes it so real, doesn't it? Yes. Now, do you ever talk about investing in female-led startups with your clients? Do they come to you and inquire about that? Yes. Some of my people who are of higher net worth and are thinking that maybe they don't want to have all their eggs in just their home real estate basket and then in the stock market, the public stock markets, they start to ask me about, I call them alternative investments. And I have found a couple alternatives that I'm comfortable with, but generally speaking, alternatives I find aren't as transparent as I like. You know, I have a fiduciary duty to really understand what I'm suggesting my clients invest in. So I have not gone into those things in a big way. I'll let a client know though, who I think can afford it, right? They don't need to have that money invested get all in the stock market or real estate, that if they would like to pursue it, I don't think it's a problem. But I hesitate to find investments like that because I don't think they're transparent enough. They're very, very risky. Again, it's got to be money that you're prepared to lose. And it depends what type of investing we're talking about in terms of the vehicle that you use to invest in. But we know that we need so much more capital to flow into female-led startups. And we also need so many more women, women investors, putting that money towards female-led innovation for obvious reasons. Yeah. So it's an important conversation, but it, obviously it needs to be right. It needs to be right for your personal situation. Everyone's financial situation is different. But those conversations, you know, even if we just start to have those conversations are really key. Yes. And I always have my eye out for things like that. And I follow the alternative space. But like I said, if I don't feel like I can do really good due diligence and be comfortable, it's very hard for me to recommend an investment like that. Mm. Really, what I need to do is find sources that I trust about those kind of investments. And I haven't done that yet. Okay. 
There's a company that springs to mind called Backstage Capital. They're in the US. It's led by a woman called Arlen Hamilton. I don't know if you've heard of her, Kathy. No. So she's phenomenal. Her story is exceptional. She looks for female founders, LGBTQ founders, or underestimated founders, and their companies. As you know, they're largely underinvested and always looking for investors. Oh, that's interesting. Have you done a podcast with her? Not yet. I want to get Arlen on. Absolutely. Oh, that would be amazing. Okay, I'll look it up. Now, before I go on to the next question, Kathy, I can't not ask this question. How can women manage and invest their money to hedge against inflation and slowing economic growth? I know that in the US, I think inflation is now, is it 6.2%? It depends on what category you're talking about. Medical, education, food. And there's different indexes that measure inflation and they're different. Quite confusing, actually. Yeah. I know in the UK, I think we're on currently 4.2%. It's forecast that we'll be at 5%, I think, by April of next year, 2022. There's been so much conversation about inflation being transitory. Of course, we're seeing it's not quite transitory. Yes. And economic growth is slowing as well. So... How can women manage and invest their money to hedge against this kind of high inflation and slowing economic growth? Okay, well, first off, I truly believe that no one knows for sure what's going to happen in these areas. They never do. Economists are wrong all the time. That's right. And so as an investment advisor, this is the approach I take. I learn as much as I can about the client by doing the comprehensive plan. That informs me of their need for return. Are they behind? or are they ahead? That's one piece. What is their need for return? The second piece is, what is their risk tolerance? So I have tools I use to attempt to measure risk tolerance. It's not easy because it's not an exact science, but I try and figure out how much risk can they withstand and also take into account how much risk do they need to take? So those are the two pieces. Then I build a portfolio based on that, So it's a 60-40 portfolio, a 70-30, 60% stock, 40% bond, or 70% stock, 30% bonds. And I'll choose the diversified portfolio I feel best fits those two parameters. So let's say it's 60-40. They're doing fine with their saving. They don't need to be super aggressive. It looks like they're on track to meet their goals. And they have a little bit lower risk tolerance. Or they're older. You know, they don't have as much time to make it up. Maybe I'll put them in a 60-40 portfolio. And that is stay fully invested. No matter what, you know, if people start screaming about inflation, don't think you have to sell off your bonds or don't think you have to sell off your stocks. You keep your allocation and you rebalance if it goes out of certain ranges. Like I look at it if it goes 10 to 15% out of range and I'll rebalance it back. Then specifically for threats like to bonds, right now, I use shorter duration bonds because the longer term bonds are they're going to react to interest rate changes. And we're assuming if inflation happens, interest rates are going to go up. So I'll do little tactical tweaks like that within the portfolio, but I won't sell people out of the market. I don't do market timing. Mm. I don't do market guessing where I'm trying to guess where inflation is. My goal is to keep people invested over the long term so they can reach their goals. Yeah. So that's how I approach it as an investment advisor. And I hope that answers your question. It does, I think. Yeah. I think that's how all people should 
manage their investment portfolio. Maybe if you're getting a little nervous, let's say you're an individual managing your money and you have 80% in stocks and 20% in bonds and you're young and you think, oh my God, inflation goes up and interest rates go up. These bonds aren't going to do anything for me. And you want to put a little more in stocks. I mean, that's how I think about my clients. Yeah. This is quite common, isn't it? So the younger you are, the more likely your appetite for risk, where you can't afford the risk. And so you're more likely to be 100% invested in the stock market, meaning your returns are going to be a lot higher, but then obviously, potentially they can drop as well. The older you get, the more likely it is that you're going to have to balance it out a little bit. So you've got, yes, X percent in the equity market, X percent in the bond market. But with interest rates so low, is it a good idea to invest in bonds at all? That's such a good question. Bonds really do act as a hedge if something really dramatic happens Mm -hmm. with the stock market, like the COVID crash. If you had bonds, a certain amount of bonds, they held up your portfolio. Yeah. So really, truly, right now, to me, that's what bonds do. They're like a safety feature. But cash can do that, too. So I have a little bit more cash in my clients' accounts now, too, because there's negative returns even on short-term bonds. Yeah. It's a really good question. As an investment advisor, I would have a hard time making the decision not to have any bonds in my clients' portfolios at all because they do have their place. But you could take some of the risk off by looking at duration and the types of bonds you have in the portfolio and maybe having a little bit more cash, which also gets in the way by inflation, unfortunately. Yeah, well, that's the obvious issue. It depends how long you hold that cash for. If inflation tapers off, then it becomes less of an issue. But if inflation continues to rise and you're holding cash, let's say you're holding 30% of your net worth in cash, that is being eroded. That is not ideal. Yes. And you are getting your monthly dividends with bonds. So there is some income coming off at bonds at all times where you can't say the same thing for cash right now. Yeah. Lots to think about. This is why working with a financial advisor really helps. Yes. It's a lot. It is. There's always something going on and it's always an unusual market. And so my premise is to go back to the basics, Mm -hmm. keep it as simple as you can. And if you look back over time, Unless something dramatically changes, like the U.S. turns away from capitalism or something, Hmm. I think that the past is a good predictor of the future. And over long periods of time, the markets go up. So you can make it as difficult and scary as you want to make it, or you can think of it in a longer term way and more simply and then act accordingly. Does that make sense? Yeah. That's what I try and do as an investment advisor. I try and make it less complicated. Are we likely to see a market crash? I mean, there was a lot of discussion online that we were likely to see an almighty market crash in October. That hasn't happened. There are some fairly well-known investors, macro investors out there, institutional investors out there who have been talking about a market crash for a couple of months at least, and it hasn't really happened outside of the pandemic. Do you think we're going to have a market crash? Can we afford to have a market crash? Well, I think we need to have corrections because it's so strange and the market just keeps going up. Hmm. I wouldn't be surprised if there were some corrections, 10% corrections in the market. You know, I don't know if they're going to happen before year end. There's so much momentum now to have the market keep going up through the year. It just seems like the 
corrections or crashes aren't going to happen, but they're inevitable. They always do. So yes, do I think a crash or correction is going to happen? I do. Do I think it's going to be the end of the world? No. You know, it's all in how you respond to it. If you panic and sell everything out and then you got to market time and decide when to get back in, you've totally lost. Nobody's a perfect market timer. So it goes back to the basis again. You make sure you're in a portfolio that matches your risk tolerance need for return. So if you're in a 60-40 portfolio and the market crashes, those 40% in bonds are really going to help you. Mm-hmm. And the goal is to keep you in the market. And a younger person in a huge stock portfolio could easily lose 30 to 40% in a real market crash. Can they handle that and stay in it? That's the question. The key is to not sell when the market drops. Don't panic. Obviously, if you don't need the money, that's easier for you. But leave it in there. And actually, it's a very good time to buy. Hopefully, this is why you might have cash on the side so that you can take advantage of the fact that the market drops by 20% or so, and you can buy more equity, more crypto. Or do some tax loss harvesting during those times. If the market drops that much and some go below your basis, you could sell and buy something similar without any tax consequences. There's a few things you could do in a market crash that could help you in the recovery. Yeah. The key thing is if you sell it all out because you're afraid, then what happens? You booked your loss and when do you get back in? Financial advisor kind of keeps the discipline of staying invested. Yeah. And it's always proven to be the right thing to do. Look at March 2020, how short-lived that crash was. And that was very scary. It's so important to be clear on your time horizon in terms of how long you're going to be invested for. And again, that's something that you can work with your financial advisor on. Or if you're self-taught, if you're doing this yourself, really think about how long you want to be invested for, how much money you can leave aside to be invested and how much money you can contribute every month or so and stick to the plan. Stick to the plan. That is the whole key. Everyone should have a somewhat of an emergency fund Mm. so that you don't have all your money in the stock market and then it crashes and you're down 40% and you need to sell to fund some expense. Yeah. So you don't always want to have all your money invested. You want to have some liquid cash usually six months to a year of your essential expenses put away in a very liquid account. I was going to say it used to be your emergency fund should cover your expenses for at least three months, but now it's six to 12 months, isn't it? This is how I look at it. So if a client has a very stable W-2 paycheck job, they're doing well, then I think six months is fine. If they're self-employed with their regular income or they're in an industry that is known for laying off, things like that, then I'll say you should probably have a year because not everybody is in as unstable position as others and not everyone's as secure as others. So it becomes very individual. So if you are invested in very risky assets um, and there are people out there who have a very high risk profile. So they invest in startups and they invest in crypto, they invest in NFTs and so on. 
they may decide to have a much bigger emergency fund if things go all a little bit wrong. So it's possible to have a two-year emergency fund even. It really depends on your situation, as you say. The problem is so people who go all out and invest all in stocks and crypto and NFTs are usually big risk takers. And the thought of having a two-year emergency fund probably isn't very appealing, Mm. But, (laughs) but it's really smart. I'd like to switch gears and talk to you about Kathy Wood. I know you're a big fan of hers. So am I. Mm-hmm. She's the founder CEO of ARK Investment, which is made up of actively managed ETFs mostly. I think six out of the eight are actively managed. I think two passive ETFs. She's become a superstar investor, easily the most influential investor on Wall Street. What makes her stand out in how she thinks about the market and investing in your view? And what can we learn from her? I think she's so fascinating. Well, for one, there are still so very few high profile women money managers. I can't think of any other than her, basically. (laughs) So for that, she stands out to me and I love it. And she also takes pretty bold bets on stocks and as pretty bold views on things that people don't agree with. And she's not afraid to stand her ground and make her point. And I admire all of that. Now, whether she's going to be right or wrong, that remains to be seen. (laughs) But I can't help but admire somebody like her. I like to see women in that role. And I like to see her getting the attention she's getting. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel like the world may be changing a little bit. I feel the same way. I think personally, I want to hear from more women. I want to see more women talking about money and investing and obviously talking about how they see the world of investing, how they think about the market. And she is a breath of fresh air in a very traditional market, isn't she? That's a good way of putting it, a breath of fresh air. She's sort of a futurist too. I think her brain is thinking way, way, way in the future. Yes. Instead of right now. But investing is about the future. So I think that she's something we need in investing. She's a leader that we need. She made a very bullish price prediction on the Tesla stock, which I think was correct. Yeah. She's very bullish on crypto, on Bitcoin. In particular, she made a price prediction, I think, towards the end of November last year, which is that Bitcoin will hit $500,000 within the next couple of years. I think she's being quite conservative there. But she's also now very focused on Ethereum. So she's very open-minded and she's embracing the future and not afraid to put her money where her mouth is, which is inspiring. And it's fantastic that she's leading the way as a woman, as a female investor. I agree with you. I have a story to tell you about crypto. So because I work with mostly women, I tend to belong to women's groups or I go to women group events. And there was this one event in San Francisco that had all these different talks given by women to women. And I went to one. In fact, I think I was on the panel. I was on the panel and there were four of us. And one of the women was a crypto expert. This was like in 2006. When did it first start hitting the public mindset, 2016? I think 2017, probably, when we had the massive rally. Okay. Well, I didn't know anything about it. 
it was just on the tips of you know my consciousness and she was talking about it and she believed in it for the future of course i thought oh what is she talking about and i think back on that now and yeah <laughs> if i had only jumped in but anyway we don't know the future but it's interesting to look back and see what you knew and heard and what you did in this space and it'll probably be like that for years. Yes. And I, I've said to friends of mine, I was definitely very fickle around crypto when I first invested. And that was just from a lack of understanding, not having a lot of people around to talk to about it. You know, I spent a lot of time on Twitter, reading loads, watch loads of video interviews, podcasts. I mean, I'm constantly consuming this stuff. And you know, so many more people are doing it now. So it's not a lonely experience. And I, I think what resonates with me is also the mindset. I think a lot of people who are invested in, who have that kind of longer term horizon in crypto, they're very open-minded and they recognize that we need to move to a new world. The financial system as we know it is not working as well as it should. I'd love to interview on my podcast about crypto. Okay. <laughs> Love to do that. Okay, that sounds good. All right. So I'd love to move on now to my final two questions, Kathy. And you shared so much with us today. Thank you for everything and for being so open. What advice do you have for women who've not had to think about money or long term investing, but now have to? I see a lot of women like that. For example, the women who inherit money, all of a sudden, they need to really think about it. So it, it depends on whether someone is open to hiring an advisor or not, especially a certain kind of advisor. Okay, I'm going to give a plug for the kind of advisor I am. So if you hire a financial planner, financial advisor like me, you will get help with your life plan, your life financial plan, and your investments. I think that benefits most people. I think financial plans are really important. If you hire someone that focuses on investments only, you're not going to get the help with building the plan. You're going to get help investing the money. Mm. So you kind of have to decide what kind of a advisor you want to work with. I'm in the independent registered investment advisor community versus going to a Merrill Lynch or a, one of the big banks. So I think that would be the first decision someone like that would have to make. Do I want an advisor? Do I need an advisor? What kind of advisor do I want? And do the research on the kind of advisors that are out there. So that would be one. If you don't even have hiring an advisor on your register for whatever reason, you don't know they're there, you don't think you can afford it, you want to be a do-it-yourselfer, then it goes back to taking advantage of everything. You have to educate yourself. That's the first step. You have to educate yourself on what you need to do to have a good financial plan. And it's not hard to find. There is so much out there in the financial media. It's shocking to me how much is written about these things. Hmm. You could start with Morningstar. You could go on CNBC. CNBC does a great job on mixing investing and personal finance. A real great mix of articles. Another great one is Investopedia. They are fantastic. You could Google anything and Investopedia will give you an idea how to do it. Another great one is The Balance. Mm -hmm. You could Google, how do I start building a financial plan and get all kinds of information from all of these sources. So it's really not hard to find. You don't need to go buy books. 
You could go online and find a gazillion free resources, including calculators, et cetera. So like you were talking about how you've educated yourself so much on crypto, and now you feel confident in your crypto investing. Education is the first step, understanding what you need to do, especially if you're not going to hire an advisor. That's very true. And don't be afraid to go online, whether you use Twitter and, and just find your online tribe. Podcasts too now. Oh my gosh. There's so many podcasts. Podcasts that are run by normal everyday people. They're not advisors. Mm. And they've managed to build a great financial life and they share how they do it. There's lots of that out there too. There's just so much information. There's really no excuse. And I love that. I love the fact that so many different people are sharing their experiences. And that is incredibly enticing for people who are new to money and, and, and investing because you think, well, if they can do it, so can I. And yeah. it just makes this whole industry a lot more approachable. And it really is about breaking down the barriers. Right. It's almost like the financial industry is taking on educating the public because our educational institutions don't do it. Yeah. And so the media is doing it now. And I think they're doing a really good job. There's a lot of unbiased articles out there that are really, really helpful. That's great advice. Why is now a really important time to get a good handle on your money and to be in control of your finances, regardless of whether you're married, whether you're in a long-term relationship or you're single? So as you could tell from everything I've said, it's never too early to start saving and investing. And it really doesn't matter what position you are in life at all. In fact, I would argue that women in particular, the earlier they start, the better. And this is why. And this is all facts. I mean, there's so much statistics and studies done on women and money over their life. Women tend to make less than men, even in similar positions. That gap is closing for younger women, I hear. But still, that persisted. Women have the kids. So there's going to be time when they can't work or work part-time. And a lot of women, after they have a baby for a couple of years, they realize they want to be with that child. Mm -hmm. So they take time off of work. That means that they're not contributing to their retirement plan. They're not earning money during that time. I know many women in their older years who end up taking off time to take care of their older parent. Mm -hmm. That happens to women. Yeah. Women get divorced. Usually they're worse off than they were before. I mean, all these statistics say that women have a disadvantage when it comes to their long-term finances. And so the more they realize that and pay attention every year of their life, the better they're going to be. You know, as soon as they start earning, do all the right things, max out the 401k, contribute to a Roth if you can. Don't think that somebody else is going to take care of you, whether it be a father figure or a boyfriend or a husband always look at things independently so so important to have an independent view in your own independent finances i really believe strongly in that because you never know what's going to happen you really don't so do i and, and just to add to that in the uk we have ices individual savings accounts and you can contribute up to twenty thousand pounds a year and it's tax-free so that's a really good place to start. You know, it's so funny. All countries have something that's similar. Like that's our 401k, that's right. for example. But you have to take the action to sign up for it, mm -hmm. to pick investments, you know. And now in the U.S., I think they 
automatically enroll you for a certain percent and then they automatically put you in a target date fund. And so you'd have to opt out because in the past people weren't either enrolling in it or they weren't choosing an investment and it stayed in cash. Well, right. So there are some things that the government's doing to make sure people save for their retirement. But, you know, I still see women, believe it or not, women in really good jobs. Like here in the Bay Area, there's a lot of high tech jobs. Mm -hmm. They're making really good money and I'll start their plan and realize they're not maxing out their 401k. I'll be like, why are you only putting this much in your four? You know, that here we could put this year $19,500. They're putting in 11000 Why are you only putting $11,000? Um, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> so, again, education, because that money you put in there, you're not paying tax on it until you have to pull it out later. Mm. So it grows tax-free. You don't pay tax on it now. And it just is a great way to save. Absolutely. Or you put money into your stocks and shares, ISA, in the UK. Again, you can max that out, put in 20 grand a year, and you essentially can buy your stocks and shares and you don't have to pay tax on capital gains. Right. Pretty great. Yeah, it is. It makes sense and it's really easy to set up and, and you, you have to be disciplined and, and manage that consistently. And then obviously over time, that amount compounds plus your returns in the market. Right. Right. Kathy, thank you for your time. You're welcome. It was really fun talking to you. It was super fun. I hope we get to meet in person one day. I know you're in, in San Fran. I'm in London, but... Oh, uh, I would love to meet you. I love London. So I'm sure I'll be there in the next few years. Oh, amazing. You must come and visit and, and we will talk more about women and money and how important investing is. Thank you so much. I completely enjoyed this. Thank you for joining me today. If you would like to connect with me, you can find me online at Join the Purse or you can subscribe to our newsletter, jointhepurse.substack.com. Until next time, goodbye.